0: This episode of The Vast Majority is brought to you by Ovid.tv. Bringing together films from leading independent film distributors, Ovid.tv is not only the streaming service for documentaries, they also have independent feature films largely unavailable anywhere else. Ovid.tv offers art house films from the U.S. and around the world. We recommend watching Number One Fan, which is a subtle French take on obsessive fandom. It stars Sandrine Kimberlane as a middle-aged beautician who pines after a romantic pop singer. Later, she ends up helping him cover a crime he's committed. Variety says the film would have tickled the likes of Alfred Hitchcock to no end. When you're in the mood for a thriller, this is the film to watch. From now until October 25th, you can save 50% off the regular monthly subscription price. Just head over to www.ovid.tv. That's www.ovid.tv. Sign up with the coupon code JACOBIN at checkout and you will get Ovid.TV for just $3.50 per month for three months.
1: Hello. Welcome to The Vast Majority. I'm Jacobin Managing Editor Micah Utrecht. This is a slightly unusual episode of The Vast Majority. It is one that is about a movie. It's born out of my anger and bafflement about the coverage of the blockbuster of the moment, Joker. Now, if you, like me... Paid any attention to the coverage of the movie before it came out. It was that Joker was an ode to the angry, loner, white male, a film that only the alt right could love, one that would probably inspire all kinds of wild acts of violence and nihilism and mayhem in its wake, and that it was probably racist and misogynist and an all around reactionary fest. Instead, I saw the movie this weekend and saw nothing of the sort. I watched a fairly straightforward and, if anything, heavy-handed tale of the kind of human misery that's wrought by austerity and the brutal consequences that people whose lives are upended by it have to suffer, and how, when pushed to the limit, they push back, sometimes in really ugly and horrifying ways. It was a film that actually had a lot of nuance to it, but a portrayal that only the alt right could love, it was not. Now, this made me very angry. I felt betrayed by the mainstream chattering classes and their cultural analysis, so I talked to Connor Kilpatrick about it. Connor Kilpatrick is the story editor of Jacobin, and he pays a lot closer attention to cultural productions like Joker than me, so we talked about the movie. Connor, hello. Hey! So, how's it going? It's going well. I wanted to do this show with you. I don't normally, I'm a bit of a Philistine when it comes to culture. Honestly, I don't watch that many movies. I don't consume a whole lot of culture in general. I'm kind of one of those boring Marxists who like sits around and just reads, you know, boring, dry political and theoretical texts all day, and, and and probably my soul would be better if I spent more time consuming uh, more culture uh, in the way that, that you seem to do, um, but I went and saw Joker this weekend, and just saw it as a normal person going to see a, a movie that everybody's talking about, and... You didn't put on makeup. You didn't put on a purple suit. There was no makeup at least right. in the first time around. Well, you know, the, the, the this film just came out. There are many more times I could see it, so who knows what I'm going to do in future screenings. But I <laughs> uh, I was at, when the movie ended, I was so pissed at what I was led to believe I was going to see in this movie. Like the the distance between <laughs> what I was led to believe I was going to see and what I actually saw that i just like was driven insane. Uh i was i was ready to put on the clown makeup just yeah. because yeah. i was i felt so lied to. I was so angry about how i had been lied to by the guardians of cultural uh taste in american society. Uh so that's why i wanted to have a conversation with you about it because you and i seem to have the same uh take on it. So uh, we should mention that we're gonna be giving some spoilers in this conversation so for people who really want to see the movie and, and and not be and and actually be surprised by what they see uh, yeah full my, my, full my spoilers way. yeah um so okay let's just start with the the expectations that you and I both had going into this movie so what, what was it that we were led to believe this movie was about and what it was venerating and and what what was what was going to be on the screen
2: okay well I always I mean because I've paid attention to the trailers and everything. I kind of had a suspicion that it would be what it ended up being. But what we were led to believe was that this was going to be a movie about um, some creepy loner dude stalking women and doing gamer gates and doing incel things. I barely know what these things are. But just overall, just like um, masturbating in a corner and terrorizing women Basically, it was this idea of he was just going to be this nasty, repugnant person who ends up doing a mass shooting. There was like a, about the story of someone becoming a mindless killer of innocence, and I think that the every, I mean, every review I read got more histrionic on this as it got closer to release. At first, it was like um, you know we don't need to see this movie about another. Uh, alienated white male. And what we ended up getting is, I mean, tell me if if you disagree, the movie is pretty over the top clear that it's about the 1975 New York City fiscal crisis, or it's set in 81. So you could say the rise of Reagan. But it's basically about the neoliberal turn in New York City. And what if instead of the Bernard Gantz shooting, which was a um, paranoid reactionary racist white man on a subway who thought he was about to be mugged by some black teenagers and he shot them horribly. and it became this like he became a champion of the like the right, you know, the little guy fighting back against the crime. Okay, so it's, what if instead of that you had a left wing version of that where a guy on the subway mining his own business is hassled by three rich finance bros. And loses it Shoots them And uh uh-oh Accidentally sets off A class war In the middle of Extreme class tensions In the middle of A garbage strike They keep talking about
1: Just to be clear He's not only Minding his own business On the subway He's being a good ally To a woman Who is being harassed By a bunch of White, rich Wall Street finance bros Yeah uh, And sort of Saves her from The harassment Of these Wall Street guys Who are throwing fries At her and
2: harassing her On the the train Now let's not be Too Stalinist about this Like I don't think When he does do that, they're not—they're throwing fries at her, but they're not attacking her. And when he kills them, I think you're—he, the director wants you to feel repulsed by it. I mean, it's fucking hideous, you know. Like it's not like bang, you're dead. It's—it's—it's horrific, and I think he wants you to feel that moral ambiguity.
1: So before we get too far into individual plot points, would you just say that this is sort of the overview of the thing? is that he is a uh a mentally ill uh self-identified mentally ill uh white man who lives at home in a uh shitty apartment with mm-hmm. his mother and uh, actually seems to find meaning and enjoyment out of uh, his job as a clown, despite the fact that the opening scene is is him getting beat up by a couple kids. He also, you see, there's a scene where he is, uh, you know, in a a children's hospital performing for these children. He he has some sense of uh, meaning and assumedly a small uh, stream of income, but an important stream of income for him. And, you know, through a series of events, uh, he ends up uh, losing that clown job, and then also the, <laughs> the, the, the key turning point of the movie uh, related to what you're, what you're mentioning earlier is that it's New York City in the midst of the fiscal crisis and the onset of austerity in New York, which ends up becoming the onset of austerity for the entire country, uh, is that uh, the uh, public social worker who he is assigned to uh, you know talk to us i think like once a week or whatever uh has to inform him that uh his the the budget has been cut and so the office is closing and he will no longer be able to get his uh medication from uh from her and from his his regular appointments with her which then sets off this whole course of events uh that you're referring to uh that, that end up you know culminating in this in this sort of class war, this sort of inchoate class war in Gotham City. And to me, I mean, you mentioned sort of being Stalinist about this. The scene where he gets told that he's not going to get any more medication and he's not going to be able to meet with his therapist anymore is so heavy-handed. She's like, yeah. she says to him literally after telling him that the budget was cut, yeah. which, you know, is a, in its own right, like the budget's cut, we're not going to be able to, you know, help you anymore because of austerity measures. Right. She says to him something along the lines of these people, referring to the city's power brokers, these si- these people don't give a shit about you. I don't think they give a shit about me either. And she is a black Public sector worker, a social worker. She's like just hitting the audience over the head with the idea that like my interests as a black public sector worker are tied up in the those of yours a mentally ill white yep. public service user i'm like how much more blatant like did Conor Kilpatrick himself write this you wouldn't write something <laughs> that, that heavy-handed you would be more nuanced than that it's just so like heavy-handed I, like, know. I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it how how can you see and that that's the precipitating event that sets off everything else so yeah. like how how else how else are you supposed to read this as a
2: text i don't know that's what's so uh, that's what's so interesting about what we're talking about, like, it doesn't leave that much room to be interpreted as other things. I, I thought A.O. Scott in the New York Times, I'm pretty sure A.O. Scott grew up in New York City, and he completely misses the context of the entire thing. And it's, it's just mind-blowing. Um, then the uh, Richard Brody, the New Yorker, he actually compared the opening where Arthur gets uh, his sign stolen, compares it to the Central Park Five, which is absurd the central park five wasn't about did teen did these teenagers steal a sign from a clown and kick him a couple times when he chased them it was about did did this wealthy woman uh, did these kids rape this wealthy jogger in the park and he says that that scene is designed to to generate like racist sentiment and i think that's garbage in fact arthur after that happens uh, he's like, oh, it was stupid. It was my fault for going after them to try to get the sign back. And it's his bad <laughs> coworker friend's like, no, you, you take this gun. You gotta, you gotta stand up for yourself. And he's like, you gotta be death wish. Uh, so it's like when Richard Brody says it. And by the way, he also said that the movie wants to be as politically sophisticated as Black Panther, which is pretty hilarious. But it's just like when he says that, I'm just like, I don't, I can't tell. Like, did you? Are you trying not to understand the movie? Are you trying to lie about what the movie's about? Like, it's... it. I don't... I really think that it's just extreme bad faith at play because the movie unsettles them. Because the movie is about... It's about class war. And, and not in a Bernie, social democratic, we're all gonna go to the polls and then, you know, stand in solidarity to protest. It's about ugly, intimate vicious French Revolution type class war in which it's not it's not uh, unthinkable that the mentally ill might be the kind of the first people you know to strike the match. And I think that's what the movie portrays.
1: Well, I will say you referenced that opening scene and when I saw the movie in the theater, it it did remind me not necessarily of the Central Park Five, but of that kind of trope that is so common to, Movies that are often set in seventies and eighties New York City, which is like the city is out of control, and there are kids yeah. you know running wild, and beating this kid up, uh, beating this guy up. I would say that. Uh, First of all, it's not clear. I, I actually I saw the movie a second time in preparation for this discussion, and I was watching closely when that opening scene happens to try to make sure that these kids were supposed to be seen as, as uh, you know black and brown New York City youth, and it's actually kind of ambiguous. You can't really tell.
2: I think there's just supposed to be believable, working-class, 1981 New York City youth. I don't think it's important, like... I don't think the director, you know, wanted any, you to take anything more from that other than that. So, and, and more importantly, I think, like, the, are, the, the kids are, they didn't really do anything wrong, and the movie shows that. They stole a sign, which is should you know, that's a kind of shitty thing to do to a guy working, but Arthur is an adult male who <laughs> chases after them. Uh, the same guy who later uh, goes as a clown with a gun on him. So, hey, I don't know if they're exactly wrong to be like, oh, this nut job's chasing after us. Better teach him a lesson. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> I didn't think the kids were the kids didn't seem like evil in the way that like Jeff Goldblum as the hood in uh Death Wish seemed evil. They're just like
1: kids being shitty. Well, and, and you're you're right to say that when he goes back to the uh the clown office and his coworker uh I forget his coworker's name, but the one who ends up giving him the gun. His coworkers, like, Oh, it's so awful. What happened to you? You know, he and he's the one who who engages in the racist tropes. He's like, you know, yeah. they're just savages. They're animals. And then Arthur responds, the Joker responds, like, Oh, they're just, they're kids. just kids. Like, yeah. you know, he was obviously not happy about getting beat up, but it was it was other people who were engaging in these racist tropes about these kids. It is not a purely uh it's not exactly the kind of socialist realism you would see in, in you know under uh, The Stalinist period of the Soviet Union, or whatever. Like, I think that opening scene is a little bit ambiguous, but it's it's certainly not openly and clearly reactionary in the way that so many. To me, that's one of the interesting things about the movie is that when you're watching a movie that whether it was made or set in '70s and '80s New York City, it's almost always for these kind of reactionary purposes to to show a city that is sort of "quote unquote" out of control. And that's yeah. what the whole conceit of, of, of at least, you know, the, the Batman movies over the last couple decades have been, which is, like, you need the Batman to come in. He's the only one. Like, these pussy liberals are not going to be willing to do what needs to be done on the streets of Gotham, which is, like, crack yeah. some skulls.
2: Crack some skulls, and, yeah. And, and,
1: and, like, in this in this movie... Uh, that you don't get you get the sense that like the city is in really rough shape, but that's actually because of
2: austerity, right? Like Yeah, and it's and, it says it. It doesn't hide it. It's we're not projecting if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the movie, we're not like doing some Zizekian projection of like this movie. They like hammer it home repeatedly.
1: Yeah. Yes, it's 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 hardly a uh, <laughs> a subtle film, uh, in in any sense. Um and and, and you're right, I think the 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 route that ends up being taken in the movie, um, well, I guess first of all, it's it's refreshing to see the portrayal of the Wayne family, which is uh yeah. the, of, of of Bruce Wayne's father, not as the the w- only one who's willing to come in, uh you know, to do what needs to be done to crack some skulls, or whatever. He is like this sort of uh, patrician, per- paternalistic billionaire uh, who does clearly does not understand the the degree to which the people of Gotham like Arthur are going through extreme pain yeah. and in, and in fact you get Arthur's mother Uh, Who says over and over, she's sending all these letters to uh, Mr. Wayne saying, you know, she says to Arthur at one point, if he knew what we were going through, because she worked for uh, the Wayne family, if he knew what we were going through, he would not, uh, he wouldn't stand for this. He would sort of come in and rescue our family. So she sort of represents that kind of fervent hope that in the midst of crisis in the midst of misery on the streets the 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 uh the nice billionaire man is going to come in and save us but the exact opposite of true he's like Openly scornful of yeah, the of well, the the uh, pain that the people of Gotham are are, are going through, and we never he get calls that. Them clowns, we, we yeah, he calls them clowns. We never get that portrayal of the Waynes in any of the Batman movies before. Well, we yeah,
2: were. let's let's back up on that because it's really spe- uh, Thomas Wayne has a pretty outsized role in the first Chris Nolan Batman movie, um, Batman Begins, and in that. He's portrayed as simultaneously a doctor who still practices, but also the heir of this massive family fortune. And he even tells Bruce, like, oh, I leave the running of the fortune to other men, like boring technocrats. I really care about helping people as a doctor. And he says, Bruce, I built this public uh, this public train s- system to help uh, to provide cheap, clean, efficient uh, transportation for workers of Gotham. He's this, like, FDR figure in uh, the Chris Nolan movie here he's a very believable billionaire I like that he wasn't presented as outwardly like rea- he wasn't like a Trump I people keep calling comparing him to Trump I, I don't think that's quite right he's like a aloof m- billionaire like I, I thought a very revealing uh, review was David Edelstein at New York magazine he gave the movie a negative review and he said that oh the guy that plays Thomas Wayne he, had, he he's ridiculous he doesn't have any of the charisma of Michael Bloomberg. And I just made me realize, like, no, no, dude, you think Michael Bloomberg's charismatic? You <laughs> dig him because you're a fucking professional class New Yorker. Most working class New Yorkers at the time didn't find Michael Bloomberg charming, and like, like everyone, every time these these people write about this movie, they're just revealing so much about themselves. Yeah. So, uh, well, 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 yeah, I, I also like that Th- that Thomas Wayne. Like, it's kind of similar to the Robert De Niro figure. Like, they, there was an opportunity for the, these people to be cartoonish, like, cartoonishly nasty and mean. And that, they, that doesn't happen. They're just indifferent, realistically indifferent, but decent enough i
1: guess which is very reflective i mean for for the wayne figure if that's really reflective of the the billionaires of our age i mean some of them are yeah you know openly reactionary and vicious the kind of coke types but there are plenty of others who are the sort of liberal uh you know uh, fuzzy nice uh billionaires who really who really do want to do what's what's best for the people and and we we get the sense that he is that but but he, he can't help himself but be so uh scornful and paternalistic towards the uh the people of Gotham. So you mentioned uh you know d- the how it's wrong to talk about him as a kind of Trump figure, which I agree, but maybe we we disagree is that to me uh Joker is a little bit more of that kind of not Trump himself but the sort of trumpian spirit in that it's it, as you mentioned like the 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 form that class war takes in the movie is not the, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders channels the roiling rage of the streets into a yeah. uh, multiracial social democratic movement that, that you know, re- redistributes the wealth and makes life better well, for it's multi Well, it's, it's multiracial.
2: Like, it it's intentionally shows that it's multiracial.
1: That's true. Uh, and, th- oh, that's the other thing that made me so uh, incensed about seeing it, is, like, if this guy is supposed to be some kind of uh, ode, you know, if the movie's supposed to be an ode to the alt-right, like most of of uh arthur's interactions are with people of color some of them are negative but like yeah. he seems to he, he he like has this romantic interest in the black woman who literally s- s- lives on the same floor as he lives on uh his his social worker you know you're
2: getting to what bothers the woke critics because uh, as someone who firmly believes i don't think this is controversial to say anymore like the woke cultural criticism is just obviously a kind of like um, after school specialification of cultural criticism. So I think they're un- they don't like this ambiguity that uh, in some scenes a person of color is kind of kind of mean, not nasty, but kind of shitty to or and others. Yeah. They express solidarity. Uh, they they can't handle that. They need to have like clear lessons spelled out for them. Like that's what I think that that's what this movie. Upsets about them so much is that it, moral ambiguity is kind of mm. the stock and trade of, of this film the entire way through, and particularly the violence is, uh, you know, as well. Entertainment Weekly, which gives a grade to movies instead of four stars, it's like A, B, C, they refuse to give the movie a grade. And it, it, it's hilarious. It's like you're reading about like um, 1930s critics complaining about the original Howard uh, Hawk's Scarface. Like if, you know, kids see this and they're all going to become gangsters or something like it's it's totally absurd.
1: So what's your explanation for why that is exactly? You've gone into some of it already. But wh- why is it that people because I agree with you, it's, it is an ambiguous. I mean, like on the one hand, nobody likes rich white Wall Street assholes, for example. But on the other hand, when I when I saw those guys gunned down, I was deeply disturbed um but you know that's like that's what good art is supposed to do to people it's supposed to be sort of morally ambiguous and in this case it's a it's it's sort of like this is this is the kind of thing that often happens as a result of austerity or as a result of just general a generalized sense of misery like the expressions that it take takes are not morally clear-cut like it, it 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 produces you know all kinds of vicious reactions that we don't like but this is what happens when life gets bad for people you know
2: right yeah but this is what professional class liberal cultural commentators particularly since trump they can't and won't deal with i mean here's the level of political sophistication they have towards cultural criticism is is seen in the did you watch the last avengers movie the final part of the two part one i have seen zero avengers movies Okay, there's a scene where like the movie stops at the very last battle, and it says, "How are we going to do this?" And you hear this voice say, "Don't worry, we got this." And literally, like the movie stops, and like seven or eight female superheroes in the Marvel universe all line up, like they're posing for a photo shoot, and it's like clearly, it's like the movie's trying to be like, "See, we're showing that we're progressive feminists. See, look at this, look at this, like." That's and then, you know, critics applauded that. They're like, oh, this is this is exactly the kind of, you know, uh, progressive cultural message we need. That's what they can handle, which I would say is at the level of an after school special. The professional, like liberal media class types, they are in the midst of a moral panic that was set off by Trump's victory. It was happening a little bit before, but I think it's caused by two things. I I think it's caused not just by Trump's uh, victory again you know, someone who Violated every social norm they believed in, and yet still that they were told, if you do that, you're a you're a political nothing. He did it and won, and at the same time, they saw to their left the Bernie Sanders movement, which you know these are people who've never seen a, a significant uh, left wing uh, social force in their life. They don't know how to. They feel besieged by the right and the left, and I think they just go into it. They a tizzy and, and go into a bunker mentality where they sit and watch marvel movies all day and you know like they try to see uh hope and optimism and political you know to see they want to see the good guys win and the bad guys lose it's it's amazingly infantile i'm always shocked at how much this is set off amongst people who have like you know six figure educations and have like ostensibly i i think read like the classics of western literature and yet like it's 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 like you know no different than watching a 1985 you know episode of gi joe or something
1: so your take on the ending of the movie the sort of uh, joker ascendant uh, literally <laughs> standing on a cop car with his throngs of adoring clown masks
2: i loved it i was both in shock and i loved it i was i was horrified and you know it's kind of like i don't know like it's ugly but the movie wants to present you with like here's what it would really be how do you really feel about this and i have mixed feelings about it it's it's simultaneously horrific he shot this David Letterman-esque figure on t- television. He's like screaming about, you know, you don't care, you don't listen. And at the same time, he's helped set off a massive social rebellion against uh, the neoliberal term that, you know, God, if something like that had happened in every major city in America in the late 70s or early 80s, um, do we really think that? You know, a lot of the, the, the push would have continued. Do we really think that, uh, you know, the, the right wing agenda, the, the, the neoliberal turn would have had the freedom that it ended up having to kind of bed down an American society? Uh, I think uh, I, I'm not so sure. I mean, I think that that's the kind of thing that would give, uh, the, you know, elite policymakers and, and the rich second thoughts about their program. So that in a weird way, it's kind of hard, but at the same time, I want to point out the epilogue, which is very important, which is where it's implied that after that, he's just murdered a therapist in prison, and I think that is trying to show that like, look, this is what happens to this alienated, uh, you know, rage that if it doesn't have a social outlet, right, in a in a kind of political outlet, it gets turned just this rabid dog gnashing its teeth at anything that comes in contact with mindless violence. I think the movie's pretty clear about that. Also, I want to point out, uh, Matt Chrisman suggested that the the scene where Joker's hoisted up is actually just a fantasy. And I didn't get that impression when I saw it, but you saw it twice.
1: I mean, we don't have anything like other parts of the movie that that we unambiguously learn were uh, just delusions that he had, like his romance with his uh, next-door neighbor. Uh, th- that was yeah, pretty clear. We yeah. learned for sure the that dream was, or whatever. Yeah. this this was there's nothing that indicates in the movie that that was a a dream either. Although I guess the movie could go either way. You mentioned that last scene where he he murders the the woman. I mean, the, you know, we talked about. I I think it's maybe like a third of the way through the movie. The black female social worker g- gives the line about how nobody gives a shit about you and no, they, they don't give a shit about me either. And that's the moment where there's this art- articulated, uh, a shared interest between the two of them, and then the that very ending scene though is <laughs> that's a gone. Black social female social worker, uh, sort of similar age as the first one, but yeah, it's gone. Like the 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 seal has been broken, and now. Uh, Joker murders her. Uh, in, He's in, just a
2: madman. Yeah, exactly. And and I think you're I think right
1: that that's what was unleashed. Um, you know, he, he was sort of like driven over the edge. Uh, and 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 no one, you know, there was no relief for the kind of horrific conditions he was living in, and no, nobody, nobody showed up to refill his uh, uh prescription and uh reopen the social worker's office. And so what you get instead is just sort of wanton violence.
2: Yeah, I think the movie, in a weird way, once again, the movie's not subtle about this. It's saying you, there's two options to this kind of alienation. There's a collective, violent, uh, solution, which is ugly, but which is a collective solution. It, it's it's political in the sense that it's it's a, a solidarity of the have-nots against the haves. In the absence of that, there's the isolated individual violence against the self or others. And I think that's what you're right. I think that the decision to make the doctor at the end another black woman who looked very similar to the social work from before was very intentional. So, uh, yeah, and that's what's it's so funny. If anything, like now that we're talking about this, I'm like, God, the movie's maybe too on the nose. Yes, like, exactly. It <laughs> was funny. What are, what are people talking about? What are the what are liberal uh, liberals talking about? They're talking about can you believe that the Joker played a, a, that, that Gary Glitter song? Uh, Gary, you know, it's like what? And somehow they're acting as if the choice of Gary Glitter, if, you get, if people don't know that song, was like played at every major sporting event in America for probably forty years until Gary Glitter was revealed to be a, a like a rampant pedophile, and so they kind of tone. I think it's not played as much at arena events now. I, I mean, I feel like I heard it my entire life, but there's a key scene where Arthur listens to that and it's like his becoming the joker he's like victorious and is playing that that music and i've seen no less than like five pieces at major outlets like cnn being like how dare they select this song and but they're they're acting as if that todd phillips was like let me find an obscure pedophile anthem or something to like have played when it's in fact they're like once again like the overall pretending that this movie is about something it's not they're pretending that that song is not was not this huge culturally significant anthem of like you know victory and kind of a heroic narrative in in like sports stadiums so this is another example just the weird things that people will talk about about this movie except the actual movie which is on the nose over the top (laughs) political
1: which is funny because uh, there there was the initial build up to it which is like this is this dangerous uh, you know ode to the incel alt right uh people and so this this ode to, this sort of uh reactionary uh white male violence and then the movie is now out and we can all see it and we can judge them ourselves and I read the New York Times review I don't know if it was AO Scott's review but it was it was one of the the things they ran about it and the the takeaway was like this is just a. There's just nothing here. This is like an incredibly boring.
2: <laughs> That's what's uh, so fucking hilarious. Yeah. So I, I. There's too much there. Exactly. There's way. T- there's <laughs> way too much there. Take the Jackman essay. T- t- it needs to like on the Jackman essay dial. It needs to dial down like th- <laughs> three, uh, three clicks. Okay. Like in a weird way, like Taxi Driver is far less on the nose about yeah. its politics. It, yeah. I was thinking I, that- ironically tra- they keep preparing to – uh, Travis Bickle is a far more d- d- disgusting individual than Joaquin Phoenix's uh, Joker in every way. Like, so when people make that comparison, I'm like, Travis Bickle is an open racist and tax driver. And in the original script, uh, the shootout at the end where he kills Harvey Keitel, the pimp and all, that, is, is explicitly all black people. And Scorsese is like, no, this we can't go that far. But you can still see in the finish uh, movie there's still so many indications of Bickle's intense hatred of black people there's nothing like that in, in this movie
1: it's, it's nothing the opposite. at all uh one thing I was thinking about uh and we'll sort of end it on this I think is that uh as I was watching it uh especially the ending the, the sort of riding in the streets uh you know we're we're at a time right now where we have you know I guess technically full employment, you know, unemployment rates are incredibly low. And, um, you know, we're we're nowhere near, for example, the kind of recession that we saw in 2008, like, on paper, the economy is good. And yet still, we know that the wages are incredibly low, that austerity is still the order of the day throughout America. And, and so, you know, even at this moment of of supposed uh, economic prosperity, there is still this kind of roiling anger in American society that is often being manifest in really grotesque ways, none more grotesque probably than the election of Trump. And so if we are to go into a recession, as is being potentially discussed right now, uh, what kind of uh, other grotesque responses are we going to see when uh when when you know the, the, the people who are already so pissed about the state that they 're in when it gets a whole lot worse, is this like a sort of vision of the future uh of the kinds of uh random and wanton violence that we that we could see uh like on the streets i don 't know
2: yeah I mean in a weird way like i I kind of i mean matt carp's the one that by the way, I thought it was hilarious how much he absolutely loved the movie. he saw the movie as pretty uh clearly saying like look. If you don't want the the Sanders way, it's gonna be this way. And there's I mean, I don't know, I, I don't want to be too pessimistic. Maybe there's just a chance that, you know, like the frog in a slowly boiling pot of water, it's eventually just gonna realize it's cooked. But um or eventually it's gonna snap and it will just be in you know, a completely depoliticized ugly way. But I don't even think the ending of this movie is necessarily showing it as depoliticized. There there seems to be a pretty clear idea amongst the mob of Who's the problem, and who's who's who they're in solidarity with, and I think that's what freaks liberals out who watch this movie because they're you know the professional class is an intermediary class, and they, they probably are, you know, might have some guilty consciousness about some of the narratives they uphold and some of the subjects they choose to take and some of the politicians uh, <laughs> they choose to slime. So, yeah, I think that that's what what freaks them out about it. Well, you know, personally, I'm
1: not trying to work towards the a future where you know, uh, even as odious a figure as the billionaire Mr. Wayne uh, is getting gunned down in the alley uh, after a movie in front of his kids. Uh, but that is sort of a a, a possible future. With by the me, way, I want to say one thing on now. I mean,
2: he it's very inten- I saw something when I uh, when I saw the movie. Do you know one movie poster behind them is playing? It's a movie called Wolfen. Which is an extremely obscure horror movie that is one, another movie about the nineteen seventy five New York fiscal crisis, in which a werewolf monster is avenging the de, the destruction by property developers of low income housing. So I just thought of that when you like. Well, I was like that final scene. Like that, That's how much this movie knows what it's trying to say. So
1: right. And it's a you know we we always say I mean it's, this is not a, a particularly nuanced uh, take but you know it's social socialism or barbarism out there and I think the I think Joker is a portrait of what happens if we take the barbarism route and personally I would prefer to go the socialism route I would prefer that. You know, Bernie Sanders is elected president and we can build a a mass, you know, social democratic movement in this country that can redistribute wealth and and make things uh, less shitty for people. But uh, if we don't do that, it does seem like the joker route is the one that we would be going on. Agreed. Connor, thank you very much. Always a pleasure. My pleasure. The Vast Majority is produced by Sarah Hurd at Studio 10 in Chicago. You can subscribe to the vast majority and to all the Jacobin Radio podcasts on iTunes or Stitcher. And you can always read us at jacobinmag.com.